Hello, and welcome to Winter Comfort, John's Story. I'm Neil Whiteside, and I've worked here at Cambridge 105 Radio since 2011, and in that time we've covered countless stories of people who've encountered rough sleeping, homelessness in the city of Cambridge, be it long-term or short-term, and we've looked at all the different organisations that help to get those people back on track and get their lives back in order. One of those organisations is Winter Comfort, and I've asked everybody into the studio today because we've got a very different story for you. I'm joined in the studio by Melody Brooker. Melody is the Fundraising and Communications Manager for Winter Comfort, by Alison Nolan, who's a Senior Women's Project Worker at Winter Comfort, and by John. And John, we'll start with you, if I may, because yours is a, a very different story to the average one. Whenever we hear stories of, of rough sleeping and homelessness, quite often there's, there's, there's some sort of dependency on alcohol or there's mental health issues or things. Something leads people to that path. But that wasn't the story for you, was it? No, not at all. I mean, I had only moved to Cambridge back in February of this year. And when I first moved here, I felt like I'd come to this great, vibrant city where it was full of opportunity and I'd found a, a home around fellow, like, well-educated people, chemists like myself. Um, but unfortunately, a failed relationship very swiftly led to the decline in my life and left me homeless and sleeping rough on the streets. And there you are instantly, you said it yourself. You're, so you're, you're, your qualifications, you're a chemist. So you know, you've, you've presumably did the whole education system. You've, you've got a great pack of degrees behind you. Uh, yeah, so I studied up in the University of Edinburgh. Um, so I'd always been very well educated. I'd always pushed myself to basically into continual professional development just to better myself and continue to learn. Um, so it wasn't through the fault of lack of education or any form of dependency. There was no alcohol or drug dependency that led to my situation. It was literally just down to unfortunate twist of circumstances that was the end of my relationship. And this, I think, is why I've got you in here today, because the story you're about to tell us, obviously, it's your story. Um, there are parallels with so many people across uh, the city in South Cambridgeshire. So, what happened? Yeah, so... When I first moved here, I found a job very, very quickly. Um, I was working for a startup business, and things just very much fell in place. Uh, everything was going extremely well, probably more than my, even my personal ambitions had ever sort of alluded to. Um, and then, yeah, I fell head over heels for a girl, and that relationship was a bit of an emotional roller coaster, and it got to the point where it was just quite simply, it was unhealthy. Hmm. And I thought I made the well-informed and mature decision to take a step away from that. And I decided to put myself in a hotel um, just for a couple of days or maybe even a couple of weeks, just whilst I was looking for accommodation. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't take time off work and that stay in the hotel then turned into a couple of months. But it also meant that I, although I was on a good wage at the time, I very, very swiftly spent my savings and I was struggling to make it from paycheck to paycheck. Um, it was also during the, the school holidays, so the prices of the hotels were <laughs> ranging anything from £80 to £120 per night. Uh, so I very, very, very quickly uh, lost everything that I had and everything I had saved. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't cope anymore and I couldn't keep up with the payments. Um, I was trying desperately to try and get together a, the rent and deposit, but I'd probably have around five to six days of being able to stay in the hotel at the beginning of the month before I just quite simply didn't have enough to cover the rent and deposit anymore. Um, and then because of that, I eventually couldn't afford it anymore and I became sleeping rough and homeless. Um, unfortunately, that then had a quite severe knock-on effect that led to me losing my job because I couldn't sustain the work anymore. Did you not get any support from your employers or did you try talking to them or is it just something... I mean, I'm just trying to get around how you dealt with a situation and what was it? Was it, was it something that you tried to ask or you didn't feel you could ask? So initially I didn't feel I could ask. I felt that because of obviously my education and my profession at the time I was a little bit too embarrassed to mm. approach them and ask for support. Um, plus with it being such a, a small start-up company I didn't want to show any vulnerability. Um, especially because the role I was in at the time was somewhat known to have a high turnover rate. So I was just a little bit concerned that maybe that would reflect poorly on my image and it would almost lead to me losing my job regardless. Eventually I felt desperate enough that I did approach HR 
and they were willing to give me advance on my pay. Um, but again, that advance gave me just an extra couple of days in the hotel um, before I was back at square one um, because obviously the extortionate rental rates at the moment in Cambridge, if you look at an average room, it's anything from £700 to £900 per room in a house share. Mm. Now, when you take into account you have to have a first month's deposit on top, all of a sudden you're looking at anything from 1400 to 1800 and that's probably more than most people make per month on average. <laughs> um, so in order to accommodate for that, it, it's more or less, it, it's a massive uphill battle and it, it's insurmountable. And when you were doing this, when you were seeing that, you know, as you say, living sort of those, those those first few days on the paycheck, what about things like credit cards? Were you were you maxing out on that, or were you thinking, really can't do this? Were you trying to watch every penny? See, that's where it was some... Unfortunately, it's kind of almost as if uh, my own success had been sort of my own downfall. Um, I was actually living abroad for a short period. Um, I wanted to work and travel, so I'd moved around Europe and worked in several different locations. Now, because I'd been out of the UK for so long and had so many different addresses, I was unfortunately unable to acquire any form of credit. Uh, so as I'd only been back in the UK for a short period, and as I'd only been employed in the UK for a short period, and obviously it was a short-term employment, credit companies wouldn't allow me to borrow. Mm. Okay, so in, when you're faced with, well, I can't really afford to stay here beyond the end of the week, Tony, what other steps did you try and take? What, did you try and contact any other organisations? Did you see if there was any other ways you could get funded? What, what help was out there and, and what was presented to you? So, unfortunately, because I'd not been in the, well, obviously in these circumstances before, initially I didn't know who to reach out to. Mm. Um, it was only upon, obviously, doing some research and finding out some of the help that is available, I reached out to South Cams, uh, South Cambridge uh, County Council, and they advised me that they would be able to offer me support in terms of giving me an interest-free loan, which would cover the um, initial deposit and the first month's rent, which I thought was great. Mm. Unfortunately, we couldn't find somewhere for me to move into fast enough, and because we couldn't find somewhere for me to move into fast enough, and then I got to the point where I was having to sleep rough, I eventually lost my job. And because I'd lost my job, that was no longer an option because the interest-free loan, I needed to have proof of income for them to be able to give me that loan in the first place. My goodness. Okay, so now talk us through that, that crunch moment. I, I can't imagine what that must be like for you to then suddenly have to go, I'm going to be out on the streets tonight. Talk us through that time. Yeah, so it wasn't so much a black and white like cut-off where there was a slightly... There was more of a sort of like elongated transition where I came to the reality that if I wasn't paying for a hotel that night, it would give me an extra couple of days to find accommodation long term. Mm. So I would stay in work as late as possible. Um, I'd always been quite hard working, so people didn't really second guess the fact that I was staying beyond my 4 p.m. alleged finish time. <laughs> Um, so often I'd stay until around 10pm up to midnight um, because I had keys for the property. So once myself and, well, once the other members of staff had all left, I'd just carry on doing work. Little were they aware of at the time. It was literally just so I had somewhere warm to stay. Uh, it was great in terms of productivity. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think realistically, in hindsight, it was also trying myself trying to distract myself from the problem at hand. Um, just because knowing that once I closed that door behind me, I didn't have somewhere to sleep. Mm. So some nights I would finish work at midnight and I'd walk around the city until maybe 4am and I'd go back to work without sleep, um, just because I knew that that lack of sleep gave me that little bit of extra leniency and a bit of extra time to try and find somewhere long-term to live. Unfortunately, that once that got to the point that I lost my job, that's when the, the real fear hit, the real panic. Um, gratefully, I did receive a small payment, um, obviously, once I was let go, um, just in lieu of notice. So that was able to help sort of like subsidise myself for a little while. But knowing that I had no job, no income, knowing that as soon as that money ran out, I wouldn't be able to feed or support myself at all anymore. That was the biggest panic. And that was when I realised that it wasn't just me walking around the city for four hours trying to stay awake and keep the blood circulating and stay semi-warm. 
uh, that's when I knew that I, at that point, had absolutely nowhere to go and no one to turn to. So what did you do? Initially, I was slightly dependent on some of the people around me. Um, unfortunately, it did have a massive negative effect on some of my personal relationships. Mm. Um, just because I think fundamentally I'd began to lost sight of who, who I am. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really identify myself anymore because when people first met me, they'd say, oh, who are you? My natural instinct is to be, well, I'm a chemist, I, this is my background, I've travelled, I've done this. Whereas I couldn't bring myself to talk about those things anymore because although that person was still me, I couldn't feel almost as if I was comfortable talking about those things because I was in such a bad place, I felt like I couldn't really present myself as a person very well. Um, so I did reach out to a couple of friends and although they were blissfully aware of my circumstances at the time, they would occasionally allow me to sleep on the sofa or I'd be able to fall asleep somewhere, but they weren't aware of the circumstances. Um, and that's where it was detrimental to those friendships because once they knew the truth, I think they were so flabbergasted that I was in that circumstance in the first place, but I think they were more disappointed and hurt that I didn't reach out to them and tell them the truth sooner. Right. Which I think was one thing that I've taken very much to heart, especially from those close personal friendships, is you really can never underestimate... Like, I think we all underestimate the generosity yeah. of the people around us that truly care about us. And I think having known that sooner, I would have told them the truth. And I think if anybody ever finds themselves in that same circumstance where they are struggling, don't be too stubborn. Don't try and be too self-proud because as much as you feel like you're ashamed and you're stuck having that little bit of support and knowing that someone's there and understands what you're going through that is something that honestly like no amount of money no roof over your head can buy just knowing that those people are there and they understand and they don't judge you for that mm. indeed so that soured those relationships so that as you say that that becomes less of an option for you so at what point did you say well i'm gonna have to get help from some of these organizations that are out there there must be somebody who can who can offer me some laundry facilities give me a shower give me a hot meal yeah i mean initially i reached out to some of the available facilities that are offered in and around cambridge so i reached out to initially streetwise mm -hmm. um unfortunately they couldn't get to me soon enough uh, I did reach out to the emergency out of contact, the out of hours contact at um, the Cambridge homelessness uh, through the council. Mm -hmm. And basically the only advice that they could give me because I was physically fit and abled and in their eyes because of my education and background, they didn't see me as someone that fully needed support. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, the way that the system works at the moment, you have to steep so low into a certain level of depravity before people are truly willing to help you. I don't think there's any support systems in place at a certain level to support people from falling. You have to hit the absolute rock bottom of sleeping rough before anybody will give you a helping hand. Having said that, I think one group that I was eventually introduced to after being passed from person to person was at Winter Comfort. Um, so Winter Comfort is, well, it was basically my home. Um, it was somewhere I could go for a few hours a day. It was somewhere they offered me food that I didn't have to pay for. Um, I was given a huge, massive amount of support. And they are probably, well, fundamentally, I do owe them my life because at a time where I felt like I was completely lost and alone, they gave me a sense of home again. But not only that, they were so professional, but so caring as if they were friends that I'd known for a lifetime. And I just can't thank them enough for everything that they've done for me. Oh, my goodness. So it's that whole fact that they, the, this assumption that you have to hit rock bottom before somebody will help you. Because actually, you know, you're a bright, intelligent man. You're a very capable man. Surely you should be getting help at the time when you're still able to focus. You don't want to knock you right down to the point where you, you're kind of losing touch with who you are before we help. That's, oh, that's a horrible thought. Let's turn our attention then to Melody Brooker at Winter Comfort. And Melody, this must be, obviously, 
John's story is 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 kind of different to a lot of the stories that you hear. I mean, he's he's very aware of of how he got there. So many people aren't aware of how they got there in some way. But th- these people turning up at the door, people getting in touch, you see day in day out, week in week out. We do, and um, as you say, John's story is quite different because he has fortunately not fallen into the path of dependency on different substances that many people sadly find themselves in and and many people present with quite difficult mental health challenges and underpinning trauma that's led to their circumstances so whilst John's story is absolutely appalling um, thankfully he was able to access support before he was drawn into any not that you necessarily would have been, John, but, um, you know, there, there wasn't the point at which he crossed over into getting involved with some of those behaviour patterns that sadly make your recovery even harder. Mm. Um, but but absolutely, you know, at the moment we, we see people from all different walks of life and it may be people that are, you know, relationship breakdown, it may be people that have um, been in prison for a while and are coming out with absolutely nowhere to go. It may just be people that are struggling with the cost of living crisis and really finding it difficult to maintain their tenancies. Lots of different people. Every story is different. Yeah, I mean, I just want to pick up as well on, on, on what Melody was saying there about you didn't fall into that into those dependencies. What sort of interaction did you have with other people who were rough sleeping and, and homeless on the streets? Did you, did you come across? Is, it, is there a everyone said, oh, there's a community out there? Is there? And did you come across it? See, when I was initially homeless. I felt completely isolated and alone. Mm. I think because of where I found myself feeling most safe, I would most evenings, if I didn't have somewhere to sleep, I'd walk as far out of the city as possible just to be away from people. Uh, So I'd walk to probably the south end of Cambridge or just outside the city where I knew it was very quiet and isolated and it was unlikely after a certain time of night people would come across me and it would be unlikely that I'd be moved on so it wasn't until I actually went to Winter Comfort that I saw sort of the community feel. Hmm. Um, there is a lot of people that I have met and I still see and still pass today uh, that I met at Winter Comfort and they will still come and say hello, they will still shake my hand, they will still wave and it, it hurts because it, I'm so grateful for being back in a position where I have a roof over my head and I have a career again and a great income and everything's going well but knowing that those people are still there mm. and having to walk past them each day knowing that I've got somewhere to go home to I think that is something that is very difficult to deal with um, it's something that I, in the moment you don't think of almost in like a, a selfish way you're just so grateful that your own life is back on track and I can almost understand how people can walk down the street and walk past someone homeless and they don't bat an eyelid mm. because obviously they don't understand, they've not lived that lifestyle, they don't understand the circumstances, they make unfortunate presumptions about their lifestyles and how they've ended up in that situation almost as if it's their own fault when fundamentally it isn't. So I do believe there is a community there and it's unfortunate that it is a community because that community only exists because there is not the correct infrastructure to help those people out of that situation. And I think that's why it's crucially important that stories like this do get heard, just so people are more aware and more willing to help because there's this awful stigmatism that homelessness is strictly self-inflicted mm. and that quite simply is not the case. And don't forget, it's a lifestyle choice. Oh, <laughs> gosh, yeah. <laughs> On that. <laughs> so when people get to you, Melody, uh, uh, someone like John gets in touch, is there, a, is there a set procedure, regardless of, of who he is and where he's come from, or who she is or where she's come from, and we'll come on to that in a minute, is there a set procedure that you, you would follow? Anyone that comes to Winter Comfort will go through a, a sort of an assessment process. So when people arrive, they will sit down with someone that's a trained um, support worker, and will really go through an assessment of their needs. Now, someone like John was able to really clearly articulate exactly what's going on, what's happened, where do I want to get to, how do I get there. Um, People will present in all different kinds of ways. So some people may be very unwell um, and not able as easily to articulate what it is that they'll need or they may be very fearful um, and lacking any trust and not really want to open up about the full extent of their circumstances. So it's really a process of building trust and building the relationships with the people that come for support until the point at which they feel able to open up and ask for 
um, the help that they really need to change their circumstances. And many people just don't know. Many people yeah. just feel stuck in a rut and absolutely can't see a way out of that. And so part of our work is really fundamentally underpinning everything is to help people to feel human again and to get a sense of who they are, to get a sense that we're not judging, we're not questioning what you've done in the past. We want to look to your future and to try and find out how you get to the point you need to be at. Um, and it doesn't happen quickly. For some people like John, you know, he's a, as we've said repeatedly, <laughs> he's fabulous and, you know, very resilient and, you know, great. He knows what he's doing. He's got opportunities that he'll go on to do great things. But for other people, they may not have that personal resilience. It's not something that we all have in us. Um, so it, it's just the journey for some people may be very long over periods of years and we see many people that will fall into homelessness repeatedly and they'll yeah. go into accommodation and they'll, they'll build their lives back together and then for whatever reason they may not be able to cope and then they're back again and yeah. that's a really sad thing for us to you know kind of wave goodbye to people that have had support for a long time with hopes for their better future and then of course to see them back again and but i think that one of the things that winter comfort will always stand by is that there is no such thing as a you know, you know, you always have a second chance. You'll always have a third chance, a fourth. No matter how many chances you need, Winter Comfort will always welcome you back to try and get you to where you want well, to be. Well, you just answered my question, which was going to be, is there ever a point at which you go, nah? Not really. I mean, there have been very rare occasions if someone is so mentally unwell that they are um presenting with dangerous behavior that would yeah. be you know a risk to other members of staff or to other people accessing support and there there are times where we are simply not the most suitable support service for someone in that particular set of circumstances but that's rare i think you know we we we're a very um welcoming organization and and that is a very rare thing so so no as long as people need us we're there and there are people that i saw today in the in the center um you know this chap's in accommodation and he was supported to help get his job with one of um winter comfort support workers and i think he's looking for a new position and he's come back and he's come back just to say yeah i'm doing okay but i really could do with a bit of help with this job application and of course that's great because we're not just there for people that are rough sleeping it's it's helping people to sustain tenancies after they've been homelessness homeless as well so it's you know saying great you've done this but if you find yourself at a point where you feel like you're teetering on the edge again come straight back in don't ever lose your tenancy again so um and i know that that you john have got some ongoing issues with different sort of benefits and things that uh, you've sorted out yourself now but you knew that the door was open you knew that you could pick up the phone and say oh i'm having an awful time with this can anyone just give me a hand and yes of course that will always be the answer. But, yeah. Now, how much can you do that you can do because you're trained and you've you've got the resources? And how much can you do you have to go, no, we need to bring in external help on this? And how how much can you sort of point people in the right direction? How much can you sort of insist that they go in the right direction? Well, I mean, we work very collaboratively with all of the different agencies in the city. There are lots of different homeless support charities, and we're part of someone called the, uh, the Streets to Home Partnership, which is a collective, um, really with the purpose of all these independent charities best sharing practice and you know understanding we're all sorts supporting the same people so we work across all of the sector like that but we also do work really well and closely with um, the mental health team um, CGL Care Grow Live which is a drug and alcohol support service um, Alison will be able to speak more broadly about all of the different agencies that we, that we work with but yeah. we, we really do reach out to people we i think that's something certainly since i've been there the the pandemic seemed to be a bit of a catalyst for change mm. in that and the way that everyone works so closely together and um you know always within the center there'll be people on a, a zoom meeting or on a call with different agencies partner agencies all you know saying have you seen so and so and great yeah we've got concerns about this and so it's it's really good that we can share information like this a lot of the stuff we can do ourselves but we will always bring in external support so we, we work with fully trained counsellors to provide counselling services that we pay for with the money that we raise to support people that have got experience of homelessness. So we deliver those services at Winter Comfort, working with professionals to do the delivery of the services. And one of the things I think that works so well for us as a, 
as an organisation is that, as John said, um, you do you do sense this kind of yeah. I feel like I'm at home here. <laughs> People that come here and you know to, to winter comfort over an extended period of time very quickly open up and relax and, and that's when they will really engage with the nurse that's coming in from the access surgery or yeah I think I need counselling but I, I don't want to go anywhere no okay come here do it here so it's really it's a hub you know that, that's what we like to think of ourselves as a hub for support excellent excellent now you mentioned Alison a few times let's bring her in now Alison Nolan you're the senior women's project worker now yes. I, mean, I can imagine across the board it doesn't this is a very gender neutral situation rough sleeping homelessness is is very gender neutral but I think it's fair to say that I wouldn't want to see women on the streets they are to my mind more vulnerable I may be completely wrong how do you how do you find the situation and what services how do you tailor things towards women as opposed to John here well it's funny because it is it is very gendered in how women experience homelessness and it's some of it's uh, more obvious than other sort of thing I mean physically women are weaker mm-hmm. so if um, somebody wants to assault them yeah. then they can do that quite easily and women haven't physically got the defence to that um, but also there's I mean there's similar similarities all through a huge number of the people we work with um, have been through trauma and have distress of some kind in their life with the women it's almost 100% it's standard for our women to be traumatised many of them are now getting um, diagnosed with PTSD because of the abuse and trauma the violence they've gone through um, a lot of them are hidden. So, and before we ran, started running the women's service, we were sort of like aware of 10 to 20 women who lived a street-based life or were actually sleeping rough. We're currently working with 220. Oh, for goodness sake. And that's, that isn't the end of it. That's just the ones that have found us. So, it, we're very aware of making sure we're all about um, being welcoming and that the women have control over what they do they have choices um, and we, we try to make it girly we have pretty tablecloths and we have fairy lights <laughs> and we do our nails quite a lot <laughs> but um, we, so we, we, we make changes to make it a, a more of a woman's space when the girls come in and while well, a lot of the, the yes I have no home I need a home type issues are the same um Overcoming the trauma and abuse mm. is a lot, you know, being friendly, being trustworthy and giving all the help you can and making the right referral is really important. Um, and really enjoyable as well. They're lovely girls. I was going to say, and then you say there about, you know, the, the nails and the girly thing, but, that, but that, it's exactly what John is saying, isn't it, about how getting yeah. you back to being you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's valuing them and seeing them as having worth. Um, I'm, any woman that goes through any kind of prolonged abuse reaches a point where they think they're not they're not worthy. Mm. They're not worthy of help. Um, they're not worth anything. So um, looking after themselves becomes just another chore. What's the point? I'm worth nothing. So it's trying to get back into that. That you know we we often have donated clothes either from staff or outside donations, and we'll we'll have a cat you know a catwalk and we will be trying those <laughs> clothes on. And we'll be laughing and advising and and being feminine because that's something that gets lost Mm. and and giving the women back their worth um, because they have value. They're all amazingly strong women who survive in a hostile environment. I was going to say, just to make that decision to leave often, to to get to escape in that way. Yeah. Um, And it's a lot of them end up in very abusive relationships because if you're on the street, it's safer to have one person who's hitting you than to be available for any man who feels like abusing you on the street. So work on safe relationships, um, independence and recognising the skills they've got is is really important. And as as Melody said, we, we don't stop work. I always tell the girls, I'm, I'm here till you sack me. <laughs> because life doesn't stop like that. A, a, a lot of problems come because the girls have burnt bridges with the family who don't understand the trauma they've gone through mm. and will 
disown sometimes. So we become that network. We become the family that you can come back to and ask. I mean, I'm you know I'm nearly sixty, and I still will go and ask advice of my dad at times. <laughs> I get the usual roll of the eyes, but some people haven't got that. So we can we can be that. We can be there with with the support and advice. Um, and I mean, you're not a refuge in that way. Are you? You're not no. a women's refuge. So, what about no. the situation with women who perhaps had to leave children and and and, and perhaps need anonymity and and you know to be to be kept at a safer? Do you yeah. do you liaise with people on that and and sort of yeah, keep we, it keep it all under wraps? Yeah, we um, we can refer to women's aid and refuges, and we work regularly with women's aid, right? Crisis, the Women's Resource Centre, you know all organizations that are purely there for um women it's a lot of the time it's difficult because if you um suffer from abuse and you want to help to escape that partner um the councils won't house you where you are they will only house you somewhere else the argument being that the the person who's been abusing you will find you it's not going to solve anything which makes sense except if you have no one else in the country you're going to be moving to a town at your lowest when you feel worthless where you have depression you've been abused all of those issues you're going to be dumped in a hotel or a Mm. hostel knowing no one with nobody to help you and it's so isolating that a lot of women don't want to do that it's too scary um so trying to find accommodation and be safe can be really tricky Um, the refuges are amazing um, but again, limited spaces, limited funding. So, I mean, we often will move sideways and refer to projects that aren't about domestic abuse, but they are supported and will protect the women. Um, but we, ha- we have to listen to what, what the women want themselves. Yeah. Now, that's key about all of this, isn't it? It's doing what you want, and I guess in your situation, yeah. John. And you were saying, I mean, we were talking there about accommodation, and you mentioned that you, you were spending this time in hotels. You weren't the only person you were telling us before we started. You weren't the only person there, so it's not like you were the one guy who decided he was going to set himself up in a hotel for a few days. Yeah, that's completely correct. I mean, where I was staying at the time, I actually met three other men that were in the exact same circumstances where it was just sort of relationships that hadn't panned out maybe they were sort of a lover's tiff that had kind of escalated into something a little bit more long term and I actually ended up befriending um, another gentleman called John um, that had been there for maybe three weeks at the time and it was a very bizarre set of circumstances he'd literally just overheard me talking to a member of staff and he decided to engage with me and that's when I found out his story which obviously completely resonated with myself because we were both in the exact same circumstances. Um, But just to touch on something that Alison mentioned about um, finding accommodation, so one of the bigger problems that I ran into as well is the councils will try and pass you off onto different councils. So after I lost my job, because I was no longer deemed to have an immediate connection with the area, they tried to basically send me to a different location because... In their mind, if I didn't have a job and I wasn't connected to that council, they didn't want to give me any support. So then they would refer me to a different council that I might have some form of connection to. Almost in essence, them saying, well, where are you from originally that send you back there? Because it's that jurisdiction's Mm. problem, not ours. That is amazing, isn't it? It comes back to this whole thing about we'll get you, when, we'll pick you up when you get that low. When you get low enough, we'll catch you then. Mm. Then you become our problem. My goodness me! Now let's let's yeah, it's Christmas. Let's turn the let's turn the vibe up here a little <laughs> bit, shall we? Because things have worked out. You're sat here in the studio. You're smiling. Your your hair's done. You're in clean. But you're looking good. How did that? How did that recovery happen? How did you get your life back on track? So, yeah, unfortunately, obviously, after losing the job and losing the accommodation, I was basically stuck in this really unfortunate house of cards where you. It was a. I was waiting for the first domino to fall. Obviously, you can't be in full-time employment without somewhere to live, and you can't have somewhere to live without being in full-time employment. Um, It was literally through the support of Winter Comfort in particular that gave me somewhere to wash my clothes and somewhere to refresh and sort of feel humanised again, which gave me the confidence to basically attend interviews. And although I couldn't finance getting to those interviews, I would walk for miles to to get there. 
and eventually I went to an interview. I was very fortunate that they'd offered me the job role. I then took that contract, like sort of the primary offer, took that then back to the council, and then the council then agreed that they would offer me the loan again. And it was only, it was almost as if, I, I can't even explain it, one day I had absolutely nothing, and then two days later it was like my, my life was almost back on track. Um, unfortunately, I did have to wait quite a while for all of that to be processed, and obviously they did try and sort of expedite things as as quickly as they could. But when you're sleeping rough, one day seems like an eternity. Yeah. And I think the biggest fear, and like I, I said to Melody when we spoke, my biggest fear was five o'clock. During the week, five o'clock was my biggest fear because as soon as 5 p.m. hit, I knew there was no one there to talk to anymore. Mm. I couldn't call anyone from Citizens Advice. I couldn't go anywhere for support. Everywhere was closed. And then my biggest fear was the weekends. Once the weekend rolls around, they're all closed. That support is no longer there, and the only place that I could go to on a Saturday and Sunday was, of course, winter comfort. And I think that's, well, ironically, where I found so much comfort because <laughs> it was somewhere I could I could return to. I think trans. Once all of that was in place, I was just I was just waiting, somewhat patiently. <laughs> um, I think knowing that I had something to look forward to for the first time. I think that was the thing that kind of like reinvigorated me and made me feel much more like myself. But then, almost as a sick contrast to that, once I did move in, I felt kind of lost. I felt incredibly lost. I was so accustomed to being outdoors that I'd find myself staring out of the window and I'd want to be outdoors again. I think it was almost as if I was so happy and sheltered but I felt kind of undeserving of it and I felt suffocated just being in like this small room and I think part of me just wanted to go outside and just let reality sink in it was almost as if walking around the city helped me almost appreciate what I had and I think what I have now I appreciate more than I've ever appreciated things in my life and it's also given me a, a huge insight because as much as it pains me to say it, I think some of the stereotypes that are attributed to the people that are sleeping rough on the streets, I think, uh, so, yeah, I mean, looking back on my life, I am one of those people that's guilty mm. for making those assumptions. And I think only being on the receiving end of sort of ill circumstances that led to me being in that, circum in that situation, I think that's what's really opened my eyes and made me realise that it, it's not what people think uh, anyone can be homeless and all it takes is one split second decision or someone to lose their job especially in today's economy and before you know it we're, we're all just as vulnerable as each other and I think until people realise that and strengthen the infrastructure to help people get the support that they need obviously through the likes of Melody at Winter Comfort and Alison um I don't think that the, the situation's going to change. It's only going to worsen as the economy crumbles further and further. And how are you seeing this, Melody? From your point of view, is you know, John's story echoed, or is his thoughts there echoed? Is this right? Is it just going to get worse? We're not going to cure this problem anytime soon? Well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I would certainly, I think, over the past three years, demand has just risen and risen and risen. Mm. And... I recently compared the number of people we're supporting with two years ago, um, and we've, we're seeing 65% more people <laughs> now. This year, by the end of the financial year, if we continue as we expect to at the same rate of increasing in demand, we'll be supporting nearly 800 people, um, which is a lot of people, it, just in our relatively small city. I was going to say, that's just Cambridge just, and, just and maybe the cities, maybe the villages uh, around. A couple of, yeah, yeah, not even really. I mean, it really is the centre. <laughs> I mean, it really is the city, isn't it, Alison? That's yeah. the, yeah, but just city, yeah. really. Obviously, people will come in from surrounding mm. outlying villages for support, but it's... Um, there need to be systemic changes. The, the, we, winter comfort, no charity can solve the problem of homelessness. All we can do 
is be there to empower people to rebuild their lives, but there need to be fundamental changes. But going back a little while, mm. uh, as you say, pre-pandemic, uh, it takes a city came along, yeah. and I was always I was very inspired by mm-hmm. by by that the idea that 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 all the organisations who deal with the system, the the city council as well, the, the university, and with businesses that wanted to engage, all got together and went, how can we how can we work this out? Where are the where are the problems here? Where do people come into the system and then drop out, and then mm. we find that they come back in over here? again it did seem that we were ahead and then along came the pandemic and that seemed as well to be right we're going to take a different approach to to how we look after the rusty we get them in one place we can feed them we can bring in the key support all to one place it does seem like there's been some real changes over the past few years here in cambridge but the problem's still getting worse well the everyone in initiative which is what we're speaking about when we talk about what happened in the pandemic was government funded Mm. it's it needs money behind it to provide accommodation for everyone. The model of getting people into accommodation and then providing sustained support to keep them there makes sense. I, I would I would say it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Uh, housing first is the, the model that w- is now still something that is available in Cambridge for people who really have very complex needs and just simply wouldn't be able to, to cope within a different setting. It's a good model, but it's not cheap um it needs investment um we know that it's it's not a quick fix giving someone a key to a door without any surrounding support Mm. is pointless it's Mm. not the lack of a it's not the lack of a home for most people that's their overarching problem i would i would say maybe i mean that's probably not most people but a significant number of people that we see at winter comfort cannot sustain accommodation without significant support around them and it's just lacking elsewhere Mm. it's just not available elsewhere Alison? Yeah, I mean there are some amazing agencies and people working in Cambridge um, with with the homeless but quite often they're boundaried, I mean we work with NHS staff with mental health provision and um, things like that and they're amazing, absolutely amazing but they're constricted by what they're allowed to provide Mm. Um, I mean and that's one of the reasons I've never left Winter Comfort is that we'll we'll keep going, we'll keep going, we will keep helping. We're not a three strikes and you're out, or you've missed an appointment, so you've got to go through the whole referral process again, um, which is a massive barrier. But and but as Melody said, that that sustained support is expensive. Mm. And that's why you need how much a year, Melody? <laughs> well, Winter Comfort, we, we need to raise... Um, our turnover is about £1.2 million, um, which and a small percentage of that is statutory funding. So it's mm. under 15% is from statutory sources because we're an independent charity and we don't provide accommodation. So if there's a, a charity um, that has accommodation provision, like hostels, they will be partly funded, well, to a fairly significant level by housing benefits of the people that live there but of course winter comfort doesn't have that element of accommodation therefore it has to be self-generated income um which is a challenge that's where you come in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well it's amazing what you do and it's obviously been proven through by john's experience mm. here i mean john effectively you are you've you've dropped out of the system and made it back in within a calendar year which is 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 good going i would guess that's really that's great so. i mean my my worry is that there especially in cambridge where it's the most unequal city in the country or second most depending on whose who's mm. stats you follow there are an awful lot of people sitting out there right now with the, the, the company car on the drive and the, the mortgage and considering what decorations are in the extension and all this sort of stuff, who are actually blissfully unaware of what might just be around the corner. What words of advice, what words of wisdom would you have for them, John, about avoiding the, what happened to you? I think, yeah, in retrospect, now I've sort of re-solidified myself within Cambridge and I've been very grateful for all of the support from Winter Comfort and the people around me. I think the best advice that I can give people to avoid being in that circumstances is just one, obviously, rainy day fund. (laughs) Always have a rainy day fund because you never know what bills are are suddenly going to hit you. You don't know what's around the corner. I mean like you mentioned, company car, etc. But you never know when the boiler's going to break. And you don't know whether you're going to be without heating during the winter. And you don't know. You you just don't know. I mean, I think so many people are seemingly self-assured in the fact that they've they've got everything that they need. And I think people 
don't plan very well for the future and don't give themselves the, the actual provisions that they need for survivability. I think people are somewhat so focused on things that are maybe arbitrary, like mm. the, the things that are unimportant, not the necessities. And I think maybe don't go and spend all of that money on an iPhone and don't go and spend all of that money on upgrading a car that you don't particularly need. Uh, keep, like Keep that money because you, you never know when you're going to need it most. Indeed, indeed. I mean, from your point of view, it's obviously a traumatic experience, probably doesn't even begin to describe it. But does it, has it made you a better person? I think it's definitely changed my outlook on life. Uh, I can't refute that at all. I mean, like I said, I was blinded to the homeless culture of the city or just in the UK in general. I didn't realise how severe some of the circumstances were and also just how terribly poor the, the support is. Mm. Um, so I do think that's given me so much more insight and I do believe that's made me a better person because it's made me definitely more empathetic towards people. It's also made me a better friend um, because, like I said, I was too stubborn and self-proud to reach out to my friends, but it's given me more self-assurance knowing that my friends are there for me when I need them most and know that they want to support me. And that's advice that I'd always give to other people as well is that always reach out to your friends. Don't keep secrets from them. Don't hide things from them because as much as you think that you're saving them hurt and worry from not telling them just how severe your circumstances mm. are, all you're doing is prolonging that pain because once they know and feel almost as if they've let you down by not being supportive, I think that's just as bad. So I think, yeah, all around it has made me a better person. It's made me more inquisitive to ask about other people's life stories I mean, you mentioned that how sometimes people walk around almost blissfully unaware to people that are homeless around them. I think a lot of people would have passed me in the street and never suspected that I was homeless. Mm. Um, I was, I've been in certain places where people have had conversations with me and they've just been completely unable to acknowledge like the circumstances that I'm in. Um, the only thing that they'd kind of maybe question is why I'm walking around with a huge sort of B&M bag that was full of all of my belongings, all of my clothes, everything that I owned that I was carrying from place to place. And I think other than that, nobody would ever have questioned it. I think people would engage in conversation with me and they'd hear how I express myself and how basically I'd hold a conversation and never in a million years would they actually stop and think, hang on a second, there's something not quite right here. Why, why is he carrying all of his clothes in a bag? Yeah. Like, why does he look so exhausted? Why does he seem like he could literally like, fall asleep mid-sentence any moment? So I do think, yeah, people's eyes do need to be opened, but I do believe fundamentally all around that yeah, the, as much as it was a painful experience and the 77 days that I spent living rough and sleeping on the streets, as much as I'd never want to relive them, I do believe it has fundamentally made me a better person. And you must be looking forward to the future. You must be looking to... to you must appreciate so much of the things that you once perhaps took for granted. Yeah, of course. I, I'm definitely more appreciative. I think there is a strange part of me now that is still somewhat like scared and concerned that I'll end up back there. And I think I'm trying so hard to mitigate for that. I haven't entirely let my guard down just yet. So as much as I'm looking forward to the future and what it might hold, I think I'm very reluctant to spend money on anything. <laughs> but that's no bad thing. Of course That not. is no... I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I keep your eye to the future, but have, have one eye on what could go wrong. And I think that to be mindful of that is has got to be a great thing to have in your life. Yeah, it, it's great for... Well, mindfulness is always of huge benefit, whether it's for mental health or whether it's just of, obviously your own independence and taking care of yourself but I think in a bizarre sense it, it's almost been a little bit detrimental in the sense I, it's almost like a paranoia now right I think it's almost as if every time I have to spend money on something I'm like mm, maybe I shouldn't spend that <laughs> or it, it's simple things and I mean because I became so accustomed to traversing across such a ridiculous length of distance on foot because I'd, I'd be walking maybe 30 miles a day wow um 
to now when one of my friends would suggest, oh, we can just get a taxi, it's only around the corner. And I'm like, absolutely not. We will be, wa- <laughs> we will be walking. But then it'll be, it'll be a silly distance. It'll be like two and a half miles in the rain. I was like, yeah, we can walk that. It's fine. Um, so yeah, I think it has changed my outlook on life and I am looking forward to the future. And honestly, I'm, I'm just very grateful to Melody and the rest of Winter Comfort because without their support, it wouldn't be a future I'd be able to look forward to. Wow. Well, Alison, let's turn our attention just to you because we're talking there about what words of advice. What words of, would you have, of advice would you give to young women, housewives, women of any age who might be sitting at the moment thinking, hang on a minute, this, this could be me? Ask for help, reach out. You know, that there's so many of us working in services that want to help and you deserve help, so you should ask for it. Nobody should have to suffer in silence. And if the help's there, ask for it. Excellent. Excellent. And Melody, from Winter Comfort's point of view, you know, what what message would you send out to people? Come and knock on the door? Absolutely do that. You know, we're there. We're there for you. And if we're not the right person to help you, we will not just tell you to go away. We will tell you... Right, this is who you can talk to. Let's introduce you to these people. Let's so as Alison said, ask for help. Come and talk to Winter Comfort. On our website, there's actually a little bit at the top of the the toolbar that says get support. And you can just click on that, send an email to our team, and then we'll get in touch with you. So you don't have to physically come to the building. Just give us a call, drop us a line. We will get back in touch with you. We will be able to help you in some way. Fantastic. Well, there we are. It's been a fascinating story. The reason I wanted to, to everyone to hear it is because it's not your average Joe story. Um, John, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I Thank think you very much that's a me. very brave step to do. Um, and I think to hear your story firsthand like that, it uh, just makes us all realise that we're, you know, most of us, thankfully, are very fortunate in the position we're in. And it's been uh, very good of you to, to say. Uh, to Alison, for all those years that you've been working with those people, <laughs> thank you on their behalf because <laughs> countless people have been helped by you. And, that, and you're, you're planning on keeping up the good work, I hope. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I love it. I, I mean, that was the learning curve for me when I started the job. I had you know, stereotyped ideas of what it would be like. And it's nothing like that. We're, we're like a coffee shop where you just <laughs> chat with very interesting, nice strangers. Yeah, say, it's just lovely. Tough old job then, yeah. I know. I drink coffee all day and talk to amazing women. I love it. And that, I think, is the one thing, isn't it? Is that everyone said, you know, John has said it as well, that you, you come along, you're not, you're treated like a human being. You go down, you have a cup of coffee. Yes, you've got your problems, but your problems we can talk about and sort out. It's you get down there and you talk about people who talk to people who genuinely care mm. and probably know the right people to, to to deal with the situation and melody well for your point of view that's yeah there's winter comfort doing all this stuff it's good stuff isn't it it's must be a great stuff. job to have it is a great job and i love the charity deeply and the people that we support and the team um really great people and it's a privilege to be part of that journey well, thank you very much indeed to Melody Brooker, Fundraising and Communications Manager for Winter Comfort, to Alison Nolan, Senior Women's Project Worker at Winter Comfort, but more importantly to you, John, and we wish you absolutely every best wish for the future. And may you all have a lovely 2024. Thank you. Cambridge 105 Radio.